I have freakishly long arms, if that means anything to you. Ooh. Well, that's a good thing on viola, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? I kind of have long arms, too. It always got me in trouble wearing shorts in school because you had that rule of, like... I know what you... You know what I'm talking about? And they'd be like, you're... Your shorts have to be below your fingertips. I'm like, okay, but they'd be to my knees. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to wear shorts to go to my knees. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I love finding these things we have in common. Welcome to the Viola-centric podcast. We are two curious violists exploring the art of connection through conversations with each other and our friends. I'm Stephanie Knudsen. And I'm Liz O'Hara Starr, and we're both professional freelance musicians living in the D.C. metro area. Okay, so should we do this? Okay. Should we kick it off? Obviously, being a freelance musician these days is a little tough. We are coming at you with our very first episode during a worldwide pandemic. I think it's important to acknowledge that this has been a really challenging time for people in our profession. Um, most of us are not doing work regularly. So, you know, um, it's it's opened the door for some creativity and for some exploration, at least in, in our lives, right, Stephanie? Mm -hmm. That's how this sort of got started. Yeah, that's exactly um, what this was born from. It's just like desperation, basically. I don't know about you, Liz, but when this all started, it's kind of like the floor drops out from under you. Mm -hmm. uh, I had lots of performances canceled. You were like, okay, well, maybe this is a good opportunity for me to get into some stuff that I'd never played before. Maybe this is the time where I'm going to finally learn that uh, sixth Bach cello suite, <laughs> which is actually what I started with awesome. at the beginning of this this ordeal. And um, and that was great. It was great for a while. And I got back into some etudes that I hadn't finished. And um, I practiced some scales. And I was actually feeling really, really good about my playing, ironically, in the summer. And I think what we both experienced around about the same time was that we were missing making music with another person. Mm -hmm. And so Liz, I, I don't know exactly how this came about the first time, but we were like, we need to play duets together. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll order some duets. And you ordered some duets and we finally got together to play. And it was, uh, it was just so nice. I just want to circle back to what you said about your initial experience with what happened back in March. And um, I think I was going like 100 miles an hour in my life before this hit. And so what I describe it as is it's almost like that car slammed into a brick wall in mid-March because everything I had on my calendar essentially disappeared in about a five-day span. And... I had a similar reaction. I, I knew I wanted to maintain my relationship with my viola. And I realized that I could actually have the type of relationship with my instrument that I hadn't had maybe since I was a student, you know, where I could just play and explore. And I was fortunate to have some, I'm going to give a shout out to Molly Sharp and Vlatuti. She created this warm up group that we met on Zoom every other day. Um, I started exploring Alexander technique for the first time. I changed my setup finally, which is something I had been wanting to do for years and I couldn't get the time to just train my muscles in a different way. And so there was all of that. And then, yeah, you and I, we've worked together so much. We've sat together so many times in orchestra and it's always been so much fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but we had never really mm -hmm. had the opportunity to, to make time to spend together outside of gigs, right? So to, to actually get together and just spend time with each other and then play music and yeah. feel like, oh, maybe there's something here. Yeah, well, we were just having so many co good conversations and uh, they just flowed so easily. And, and it was all conversations that I felt um, like we're yes. really getting at something, you know? like at something that you don't get the chance to do yes. when you're talking at break or even at the bar having a glass of wine or whatever. You just don't get yeah. the chance to get into it, which is, I think, what we both kind of realized and latched onto. Like we are making connections here through our 
conversations. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could share those conversations with other people? Yes. Right? I mean, everybody wants to experience a conversation with someone who knows what you are doing, what you are going through. And um, I I think we all yearn for that connection in that way. So we're like, let's start a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Like, why not? If you're not familiar with Viola, which many people are not, you know, if you're in an elevator with someone and you have your case on your back and they're not a musician, they will often say, oh, is that a violin? And when you say, no, it's a viola, well, actually, I don't know about you, but I often just nod my head yes, because (laughs) usually if I say, no, it's a viola, the response will be like, oh, what is that? So for those who don't know, it's like a tiny cello, but you play it like a violin. That's how I like to describe it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so let me tell you my elevator pitch. My elevator pitch about viola. I'm like... I'm like, no, it's a viola. What's that? Well, if you imagine a chorus, it's like the alto voice in the chorus. It looks like a violin, but it's a little bit bigger, and you still play it on your shoulder, unlike a cello, which you play between your legs. (laughs) Perfect. Yep. We've all got them. We've all got the succinct, like... (laughs) I love it. That's so funny. Actually, you know what, Stephanie? I'm very curious to know your origin story with viola. I feel like I've shared mine with you. I was in fourth grade, and I'm going to give a shout out to public schools who still have string programs because, man, oh, man, my life would be, I I don't even like to think about what my life would be like if it weren't for my string teachers in elementary school. Then I was going to play the violin because that's what everybody does when they're little. And, and then my teacher played the viola. And as a nine-year-old, there was just something about the way this instrument sounded. I went home and I said to my parents, you know, I would really like to try this. So we went out and we got a rental and um, and that was it. The viola is this, I mean, it's just this integral part of who I am. And I think the reason I was drawn to it was because it accessed something in me that even as a little kid, I couldn't really articulate. I just knew that it was something that I could, I could relate to or it could relate to me perhaps. And it's been that way ever since, you know, I think... That's where viola centric has come from. So, yeah, that's that's my origin story. How about yours? <laughs> I love it like a superhero. Yeah, yes, well, we all have one. <laughs> we all have one. That's the truth. That's right. Mine isn't quite as um, fatalistic as yours. <laughs> I was one of those kids who I, I also started out in the public school system. I was in fourth grade, and. I went to the assembly where they played all the instruments and I chose the violin Mm. and I stuck with that choice all the way up through college. I was a music education major and I got my degree in violin, but what actually, what, what brought me over to the dark side, which is what they say. (laughs) That's what they said at the time, but now I know that it's the opposite. (laughs) I decided that I wanted to try viola on my senior recital. And I just fell in love. And there was no turning back for me. All you violists out there, you know, that it is just a sound that you, you can't go back. Once you, (laughs) once you experience it for certain people, it's just like, what was I doing before this? And honestly, I've played maybe a couple gigs on violin, but everything that I've done professionally that I've earned money for has been on viola. I, ha- I haven't looked back. Like I said, I haven't looked back. Oh, I love that. It's, it's my true voice. It's my true voice. I have been, uh, as you can imagine, and I know you know this because I keep sending you, we send each other links all the time now, but some of the things I found that describe the viola as this inner voice kind of role talk about, and this is true, I've heard this always, that the viola actually is the closest to the human voice. The register of the viola is the closest to the human voice. But this concept that it goes deeper than that, that actually the sounds, they connect with something underneath the physical voice and go deeper into, you know, who we are as human beings. Yeah. And just to build on that, 
I don't think that it's unique to violists to have an inner voice mm-hmm. and to have a way of accessing it. Mm-hmm. Because we've talked to plenty of musicians who, and I think a lot of musicians can relate to this statement that music is a way to express things that you cannot express that are inside of you that you just can't or don't want to put into words. Mm -hmm. So I think music is a tool that helps us all access our inner voices. And for you and I, it just happens that we play an instrument that that is oft referred to as an inner voice. And it's a beautiful just kind of tie in. Yeah. Tying into connection by being this inner voice role, we are geared to connect things together. You know, we're geared to hold things together. And I know my driving force through life is just is connection. And I think we've talked about how that's kind of true for everybody and why being in this time is so difficult because we had the our traditional ways of connecting were taken away. And it's, you know, it's impossible to replicate the level of human interaction that we have when things are normal. But we've explored this way of building connection even now and hopefully can share that out into the world. You know, this isn't exclusive to even musicians alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the desire to connect is something that every human being feels if we can be facilitators of those connections i think that would be a very special part of this for me you know is is the joy that the joy that you and i have in connecting together on our own um either through just conversation or through the music that we're going to be playing uh periodically throughout the year or our conversations with our guests or eventually, you know, interaction with with anyone who's listening and is interested in what we're saying or or sharing. Oh my gosh, yes, we want to hear everything. All of your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Email yeah. us at violacentric at gmail.com. Yeah. If you have anything that you're curious about that you would love to hear us explore, your own insights about expressing your inner voice hell we'll even open it up to your favorite viola joke yeah. we, we're not taking ourselves seriously here no, we know we know the elephant in the room <laughs> violists are often the butt of like everyone's joke everyone's got a favorite viola joke lay it on us we can take it but yeah we we want to connect with you we want to connect with anybody who who is curious about exploring these subjects with us And we also want to share amazing music making with you. Yes, which is, of course, something that's coming up very soon as our first live stream concert. You're going to be hearing our conversations with my collaborator, Chris DiChiara. DiChiara. He told me how to pronounce his name. (laughs) You have to do like the chef's kiss emoji while you're saying it. Anyway, he's a percussionist with the U.S. Navy Band. I am going to be playing with one of my very best friends, Michael Hall, who is the principal horn of the National Philharmonic in Bethesda, Maryland, and he's a fellow freelancer. So uh, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Michael and Chris, and please tune in to our live stream. It's going to be at 7 o'clock Eastern on our Viola-centric Facebook page. And uh, we will talk to you next time. We'll see you on the 17th. So here we are with these two guys, these two friends of ours. Michael Hall is a dear friend of mine. We've been friends for several years now. He's the principal horn of National Philharmonic and a brilliant player, musician. Um, gosh, I th- feel like the first time we actually spent any time together was partaking in some festive celebratory beverages after my wedding, was it not? I believe it was. <laughs> and <laughs> Some those... uh, fireball shots. <laughs> oh, it sounds so good right now. Look, oh, yeah. I wasn't going to say it, but um, 
yeah. That was yeah. before they discovered that they were using like uh, airplane propellants or something in there to. Oh, kinda, really? I, I don't know what that exactly explains that everything. Was, yeah. Yeah. Ever since uh, Michael and I met, I feel like we just we've always just gotten along so wonderfully. We're kind of on the same wavelength and. Absolutely. I don't know. So many of my most wonderful life conversations have happened with you. And I'm just very thankful that you're available and willing and that we get to have you with us. So thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. And I am very honored and delighted to be a part of this vision of yours coming to fruition. And I'm so excited that you and Stephanie are working together. Um, it just it just makes so much sense, and you two are such amazing women. Power duo. <laughs> so so speaking of Chris, since he's been interjecting here, I better introduce him. <laughs> you don't have to. This is Chris. Chris, can you settle it all for all everyone who's wondering how you actually pronounce your last name? Because there's been lots of debate. The Americanized way is Dichiara. Ooh. But if you want to get all operatic, it's Dicchiata. Ooh, I like that Dicchiata. Dicchiata. My dad's from Naples, so. Oh, okay. Very Italian. Well, so Chris is a percussionist with the U.S. Navy Band, and he has various other exploits that he's involved in. Lots of tribute bands, a cover band, Beatles tribute band. I mean, your fingers are in all the pies, so to speak. And which means that you have so much varied experience and in musicianship. And honestly, I have been dying to collaborate with you (laughs) for a while. And it's been awesome. It's been so fun. Make it easy. Oh, I mean, you never know what it's going to be like. I mean, you could like someone and be friends with them and you know, they're a great player, but Mm -hmm. just personality wise too. And you know, how you work with someone could be completely different. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, that's just been easy. Oh, good. So you weren't super scared when I first asked you? I was not because of you by any means. I was like, yes, Bach. No, <laughs> it's just the worst thing for percussionists. Cause it's like I told you before, you know, you're playing violin parts on marimba mm-hmm. and, uh, it's just the hardest thing to play. You know, every single note is perfection. And, you know, you're just trying to not hit any wrong notes, honestly. Never mind all the other stuff that you have to do, like actually make music. But, of course, you have to get past all, you know, the note stuff and the whole psychology of that. You know, we could talk for days about all that stuff. But, you know, we were we were talking about this just yesterday, Chris, Stephanie and I, about how you have to be so visual because you're doing so much and the coordination that's involved in that is really kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Especially when you're doing formalit stuff. Like the G minor partita or fugue is like the hardest thing in the world to play for percussionists. But these the inventions aren't too bad. I, I totally agree with you about Bach too. And I think it's one of the things that I love to teach my students I love to teach them solo Bach because every note counts. You yeah. know, there's just complexity in every single figure. And um, so it's nice to hear you say that because I, I realize that's something that I just enjoy so much about it. But also there's such an importance to it that maybe you can get away with with other oh, for sure. genres. For sure. I actually wrote some thoughts down last night because, and hopefully I don't get myself confused. Um, oh, I just love you. But I, I just love how you two have tapped into your own professional experience as the inner voice of the string family. Um, and I mean, a string quartet, you are the inner voice. In an orchestra, you're the inner voice that blends with and enhances so many other voices often, which would be me in the horn section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I might add that you, you two do that quite Uh well. Mm -hmm. So you're taking your professional experience in that regard and you are exploring like what a thought provoking metaphor that can be for really one of the most fundamental and yet also somehow one of the most elusive aspects of the entire human experience, expressing ourselves, 
from the heart or living out who we truly are on the inside, which is why like, I'm really excited that you asked me to be a part of this conversation because you and I have shared so many conversations together, which was really about uh, bringing out the inner voice, getting past all the noise. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I don't think any of us are past that, you know, no, of course. Not. It's an everyday struggle for me to get past those inner voices, the bad inner voices, and really be authentic in my experience. You know, like, for example, my collaboration with you, Chris, it's a lot of, there's a lot of adjustments that need to be made, right? Because the articulation of our two instruments are completely different. You know, yours is a percussive, it has an impact sound, it, it ends up being a lot shorter than your average viola sound. So how do I speak with my viola voice and yet still blend with your amazing marimba sound? So it, it's just a, it's just a struggle. Like, do I clip it? Do I play shorter? Do I, how do I make my intentions known in this other way? It's a, it's a really unique exercise in collaborating with you. And I, I just am loving every minute of it. I mean, it's really, it's a completely different experience and you're such a great musician and I can't wait for people to hear our collaboration. Yeah, me neither. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's been really fun to like hear those sample recordings and I know it's not even, it's just like scratching the surface because it's just like, oh, this part is kind of set up now and this part is kind of set up and tomorrow Michael and I are going to get into the space and um, and we're going to play around and see what it feels like for our blend, which is going to be different. But that's something that's interesting as a violist, how much of our instincts are that flexibility and that malleable nature that we have in order to try and and really blend, you know, and like fit and a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, it's like such an in, it's such an instinctual part of my playing that it's like it's almost hard to find out what your inner voice actually is because the nature of your instrument is such that your job is to blend and glue other voices together. So, I it's no wonder that we often have an identity crisis, right? <laughs> yeah. Like are we a soloist? Are we a supporter? Are we both? Which role am I playing now? You know, it's just even just to listen back to Stephanie and me in recordings, just these sample recordings we've done. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, that's like beautiful. But there there is a blend to it that just happens. It's not like we've ever played just the two of us before, but it's there, which is really nice. It's fun to flex that muscle, too. We're playing um, a duet by Mazas, and it's something I've never played before, but it really gives you the opportunity to be a soloist each part it trades off in that way cool. and so that's been kind of fun just to like you know let it all loose and be a soloist for once it's a yeah like i said it's a muscle that we don't flex very often i'm curious what you do what's your head game like to get yourself ready to play in front of the band day after day after day it's a good question Playing in front of the band a couple times helps, but in terms of like mentally, in rehearsals, I never really think too much about that stuff. It's the performances. You know, if we take it on tour and I have to practice it or perform it multiple times in front of a lot of people, it bugs me all day. I don't know about you guys, but I was telling Stephanie this when I was an undergrad, I was kind of fearless because I didn't think about anything else. Like nothing concerned me. Nobody concerned me. So I never really thought about that stuff. I was like, if someone walked in the room when I was practicing, I loved it. I was almost kind of like showing off, I think. But nowadays it's like, I gotta think of stuff to get me ready for a performance, whether it's some kind of mental exercise or breathing. But I think the main thing is knowing your parts so well. I mean, We've heard this a million times, but it's knowing it so well that you can always get back on if something happens and you know where those spots are in the whole piece. Michael Colgrass actually has a book about performance anxiety called My Lessons with Kumi. 
where he went into like the Himalayas and studied with some like karate kid, Mr. Miyagi guy and thought he was completely off his rocker and, you know, stuck with him for a while and then just learned all these things about performing. And one of the exercises was, and it sounds stupid, but before you walk on stage, something you can do really quick was just look at a picture of something that makes you smile and, you know, walk out on stage. I can't think of anything else, but I remember doing that one a while back, just looking at a picture of my nephew. Aww. And it made me smile, and I walked out and played some Scarlatti thing on Marimba. Yeah, I was going to say, I was actually going to uh, toss this over to Michael because I think about this a lot when you're sitting in a principal horn role. I mean, the level of pressure in a solo on that instrument is phenomenal. Maybe it gives me an even greater appreciation for those gorgeous solos because you're like... Yeah, me too. I mean, you're like, my God, like to just emerge from some intense thing that's happening in in Shostakovich, for example, and then hear this like beautiful solo come out or, you know, any, really anything we're playing symphonically. And so, yeah, in the whole world of performance and head game and all of that, like, where do you fall? What's your, what are your go-to things? I'm having flashbacks right now. (laughs) Um, Anxiety attacks. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly playing horn and especially playing principal horn has been compared to a tightrope walk. And there's definitely been some psychology that I've had to learn in that. And some of the Don Green stuff has certainly helped me um, maybe formalize some of my thinking on that. He talks about how the, the adrenaline that you have when you're performing can actually enable you to play at a higher level than you ever could play without it. But in, in terms of dealing with with that, I, ha- I definitely have to think of it not as uh, nerves, but as emotional energy and something that I, I have to tap into to help me to get into whatever the mood of the music is that we're playing like as deeply as I can. Um, there's just there's no way you can fight it. Well, some, I mean, sometimes you can get ahead of it and be like, nope, I'm not getting nervous. And sometimes that works, and then sometimes it doesn't. And you, I, there have been times when I felt like if I were any more panicked than I am right now, I, I think I would have a heart attack. But uh, what's so cool is that you can still do what you need to do, even in that state. Um, or at least that's something that I think one has to learn about themselves, that okay, even if I feel like nothing is going to work, it can still work if I fall back on the training. But then the other thing is, what's everybody going to think of me? As you, as you guys mentioned, what are they going to think of me if I screw up? And I used to try to just, um, you know, not think about that or uh, take a more like kind of a an asshole kind of a, a posture like well these people don't even understand what it is that I'm doing so if they don't like it you know they can jump in a lake <laughs> but I think what's been, what's been more effective for me as time has gone on is to think of rather than like how good do they think I am how can I try to share with these people the beauty of this music that I that I find so incredible like I have this opportunity that's it it's separating your ego and just doing yeah. your job as a musician. And you're just sharing really. something beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, I love that. Hoping that they'll be able to appreciate it as much as you do. That kind of brings me back to the, the question of the inner voice. And I, I think that's kind of, it's always been like, a, it, although it's been terrifying, it's been an opportunity for me to express myself in a way that you just don't normally get to do in day-to-day interactions so walking that tightrope, I mean, the cost of walking the tightrope is that I get to express emotions that if I did that in a normal interaction, people would think that I was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I, I often feel that way. I'm not a super non-expressive person, but you still feel like somewhat censored in your daily interactions, right? 
And absolutely. And music is such a amazing, beautiful tool to try and express some of those things that you have inside. And that's what I just love about music. I mean, I don't know. I, I would explode probably if I didn't have music <laughs> in my life. Yeah, I think there's a sense in our culture in which emotions are a liability. And so if you're inclined to be emotionally expressive, that that's not good in a social context. So if you have the ability to express that through your art, then awesome. For now, we're lucky because we get to do whatever we want to do. So here we are. We're busy taking a sabbatical right now. Yeah, so this was more about what Michael and I talked about yesterday, this idea that this space we have that we didn't have in our lives before for whatever that space is for. If it's just to like do very little, then great. You know, I mean, you have this time to just relax or you have this opportunity to be creative. And if we were in our normal lives you know, at this time a year ago, there's no way we'd have time to do something like this. Like there's just, there wouldn't have been room in our brains to even conceive of the possibility. And so that's, that's a gift in a way. And what Michael was saying, Michael, you should share that story about the sabbatical, the seven year, the every seven year thing. And I, I, cause I just thought that that hit me so much yesterday. Well, for the, for the, for the Israelites, they were supposed to every seventh year not go out and plow the fields and just let whatever whatever grew naturally that was it so that they had time to to kind of take a break although they never did that they they just couldn't you know conceive of doing that and i think it's the same for us like we really could use about every 7 years or so like something different and not just the regular old grind, but we never managed to find a way to do that. But now it's kind of been thrust upon us. And I think so many people are so grateful for that. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could never have conceived of taking the kind of time that I've been forced to take. I, I just, there's not, there would not have been a thought in my head that that was something I should do let alone could do. And obviously, you know, I don't want to make light of, of the situation that we're in as a, as a country and around the world. And there are certainly some obviously horrendous parts of this situation, including, you know, even down to the granular of in our profession, millions of people being under or unemployed because there's just no way to work regularly. And so I think, you know, that was the part that hit me first, that made me panic in a major way. But once the, the dust kind of settled and, you know, you figure out, hopefully most of us figure out how to make do, I just feel like I, I found this space where I could actually just like hear myself more than the voices of everything else outside of me. Seriously. Right? Like you yeah. just you just get this chance to become more aware. Probably the, one of the biggest things that I've struggled with and had to find ways to overcome is with keeping my motivation going. Because you, you get interested in something and that gives you a lot of motivation initially and then you get to parts of the learning process that are not interesting to you but which are critical and... You have to somehow find the motivation. I just wonder what you guys, like, is is it a struggle for you to stay motivated from year to year, month to month? And what do you do when you just don't feel motivated at all? I don't know if this is really, am I getting off? No, off it's great. Here? It's a great question. No, this is great because this is a question that I was actually going to pose in a minute was what inspires you? Like what lights the fire for you when you feel unmotivated. And for me, it's often things outside of classical music. Like I just today actually discovered this new artist. Her name is uh, Rina Sawayama. I like that. And she, her family is from Japan, but she's in England 
and you have got to check out her album especially you liz i think you would dig it but every single track on her album is in a different style so one might be like have this hair metal hook and then it transitions into like bubblegum pop Mm. And the next one might be like electronica. This is what I mean to say is inspiring to me because it's something creative that doesn't fit in the box. And it makes inspires me to, you know, clearly she gives zero Fs about what anybody thinks she should kind of music she should be making. So it's just an inspiration to me in my life as far as, okay, why should I give any Fs about what people think about what I do or what music, what, what expression comes out of my instrument, you know? Um, but anyway, you guys have got to check her out. She's amazing. You know, I was just thinking about it cause you know, like I often say, and we'll probably say it several times in recordings, uh, that Stevie Nicks is my spirit animal. And, um, wow. oh God, I would just love to do something with my viola. That's like, tribute like to stevie nicks but i just have no i just have never been able to like push the creative envelope in that way and i feel myself getting closer to it but you know chris i feel like this is a nice segue to talk about your the other side of your career we've talked a lot about your percussion professional percussionist career aspects but the rock band part of your yeah of your life yes but you like play pretty regularly with your with hair metal right yeah well yeah dr foo i've been in that band the longest for about 15 16 years actually cool and um about seven years ago we decided to uh do this hair metal version of us okay which was just the same people yeah but no one would know because we would look completely different and we have wigs and spandex and some of us wear makeup <laughs> and we pretend we're from Germany. We have accents and our own names and we play after Dr. Fu. So people, we, we set it up and people think like we just flew in from Hamburg, Germany and like on Hair Force One <laughs> and we have a whole shtick. And for the first couple of years, I mean, like nobody knows the same people. <laughs> Really? So, I didn't know that detail. I thought it was just kind of like a wink, wink, kind of nod. I mean, I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world to do because there was already a hair metal. There was already a cover band that was doing a hair metal thing on the side anyway. We were like, we're going to make it way better. We're actually going to buy real wigs, not from like the Halloween store. We're going <laughs> to. So we went to a wig store in Fairfax. That's what I'm talking and, like, spent about. Like I spent $150 on my wig. <laughs> like so we got pretty serious about it and what's become of me what's become of me <laughs> what i do for my art yeah, hair metal just did a live stream a couple months ago for friday night live at heart space where this other mm-hmm. group that i heard of is going to be for the first time in a couple weeks doing a live stream mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i heard i heard someone from hair metal is is the one who recommended our venue for our live stream actually. So thanks for that. Yeah. 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 That guy, he, he's, he's crazy, right. but he's all right. Yeah, he's, he's a good partner to have in this thing right now. Yeah. For anyone who is listening to us, the live stream that we're going to play in a few days from when this gets put out is the art space in Herndon. And it's an art gallery with a really lovely curator named Joe who's been, she's just been awesome to work with. And we're just so excited to be partnering with her in this, in this adventure of ours too. And there's just so much we can do with the space. And we're just so excited for that part of it as well. We haven't, you know, we haven't touched on that much, but also so far I've been really happy with the acoustic there. I think, you know, for recital purposes, it's really fantastic. What do you think, Stephanie? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I was worried that it would be a little dry, Me too. but it's got nice high ceilings. And I really think that it's going to, I think our audience is really going to like it. It's an intimate kind of place. And I think our sounds are really going to resonate really well in there. 
Yeah. So what's it like to have a metal band, though, in that space? <laughs> it was fun, but it's weird when there's just five people and, like, the little crew and that's it. And you hear a couple people just doing that after you've played, like, Rock You Like a Hurricane. You know? <laughs> it's like, well done, well done. Yeah, really. <laughs> great, great rock and roll you just played there, yes. folks. Yeah. So we're going to be counting on our on our audience to uh, really write in a lot of um, clapping hands emojis <laughs> during our live stream, please. Yeah, right. um, lots of hearts. Yes, please. We want raising the roof. So many comments, so many reactions, like all through. If you want, like I told Stephanie this, I actually I have an electronic pad set that triggers off certain sounds that we need. And for this, we just... It was like, we have to get an audience to make it sound through like people. It'll sound like we're playing for like a gajillion people. Like the roar of the crowd. So I got all these different audiences I downloaded from the internet. And I had like all these different pads that had different audiences. Yes. I think if we had like a screaming, raging crowd at the end of a viola duo and other Scots. Oh, yeah. I could totally bring this for that. <laughs> could totally bring this. It'll be amazing. The motivation thing that Michael alluded to, like, how do you find your motivation? The motivation thing is hard, especially during the pandemic for people. And I mean, if you're a musician, you know, you have a creative mind and you think of all these other things to do. So, yeah, you know, playing hair metal tunes one night and then singing Beatles songs and then playing Shasti Five or whatever is like the ultimate weekend. Yeah, um, sure. But, you know, during the pandemic, sometimes... I feel no motivation and I have like three projects that actually have to kind of be done and I'm completely honored to play on my friend's album and you know I can just go downstairs to play the drums and record it myself it's like so easy to be able to do it yet for some reason it feels like a burden in some way and I don't know why I wonder if the gratification that we get through music is mainly connection. You know, it's connection with other people. It's connection with an audience. And what there's no, when there's nothing to give you that feedback, like I just connected with you. We just shared a moment, you know? You're totally right. When we talk on the phone, I definitely feel that connection. It's like, yeah, oh, I'm playing for this guy who's a friend of mine. We can actually talk deeply about this music and I can actually say how incredible this music is. And then I get kind of pumped up about it. Mm -hmm. But when we don't have those conversations and I know that I have to go downstairs and get into this mindset of being so focused and in the song that I'm playing the song and not thinking about it too much like not i do have a chart but i'm not looking at it that much but i don't want to just play through it but i really want to just make it the best thing ever and uh it, sometimes it's hard to just get into that space it feels like that's the burden i maybe is to get into that kind of mental space because mm -hmm. it feels like a heavy thing for me to like once i'm there it's great and i'm you know, I spent like three hours downstairs just like trying to get through one song and um, everything was good. But before that, it's like hard because I know I have to enter this other world or something mm -hmm. or other mental state focus. Mm -hmm. I do love that in the classical world, we're, you know, we've really been forced to explore these various ways of engaging an audience that was not accessible to us when we would just play in a concert hall and leave it at that. Um, and I don't know what our future is going to look like in that way. Like, is there always going to be the option for people to watch a live stream from this point on, you know, um, how does that look? And, you know, what, what sort of accessibility have we given ourselves for potential interest in new audiences and things like that? I mean, I think there's a lot of positives to be gleaned from it but I it is a very I, I agree with you Chris that it's hard to feel motivated or musically compelled because it's work and then you're right you can sit down and once you start 
Like I'll sit there for two, three hours and just keep going until I get a great take. But it's a different kind of, it's certainly a different kind of work. That's for sure. Stephanie hit the nail on the head when she said connection. You know, there's just going to be this when if people tune into that live stream and they watch us play, they will know that we are there in real time with them. And whatever they hear is what we're doing in that moment, you know, and we're just letting it go. And you have to get the um, sportscaster. I forget his name, who's noted for saying, we're doing it live. <laughs> and he was, <laughs> it's, he's, have you seen this? No. No. Michael, no. Mm-mm. Oh, my God. He. Uh, see if we I, can, we'll have to see if we can find the sound bite and put it in the podcast here oh, in got, that moment. That's what I'm saying. Once you see it, I got to find it now. I'm going to find it when you talk about something else. But he was caught being live because he said, like, we're doing it live. And, like, he was on camera and it was live. And he was, like, yelling at people <laughs> and his staff. And he was going ballistic. And he's like now famous for saying, we're doing it live. <laughs> so if you can get that and intersperse it in this conversation. That would be, be perfect. That would be perfect. Yes, yeah. I'm going to find that this. You're going to die. <laughs> we'll do it live. But yeah, what you said, Stephanie, about the connection is so profound. And I've just been sitting here thinking about it for, for the last 15 minutes because when you play with an ensemble that is truly great and it's like a truly like completely satisfying experience, it's because people are actually listening to one another and responding. It's like there you can play together and do something that's extremely detailed because everyone is paying attention to one another. Yeah. And that's what brought Liz and I together in the first place during the pandemic. We're both starving for connection through music and just wanting to play in person with another human being. And you just cannot replicate it no matter the speed of your connection or how good the software is. We were just starving for that. So we got together and this was born of it. It's the desire to make connections with people and build a community of people who can relate to what our our experience is and just have authentic conversations about these things that are happening inside of all of us, whether we're talking about them or not. And I think that's just key to the human experience really is that's all we're here for is connections, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And once this is over and everyone is vaccinated and good to go, those first couple concerts. Oh yeah. Oh Oh, my God. Like we're all going to be crying on stage. Yes. The audience is going to like, I don't jump the stage, all like tearing their clothes off. So many bras on the stage. (laughs) Like so many bras. (laughs) I mean, it's going to be like a rock show, except it'll be in symphony hall. The most, the most bras that an orchestra has ever seen. Yes. I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait either. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I I, I think about that too. And I remember people saying that last spring, like, oh, whenever we get back and now you're thinking, oh my God, I mean, yeah, it's, it'll have been a year and a half before we get to do those kinds of things, if, if not longer. And, and I've gotten to a point where I'm okay with the, I'm okay with the moment we're in, you know, you hear people say like, you just got to get through it. And I understand, I really understand that. But every day is still our life. You know, as long as we're blessed enough to have a life, we're here and and those of us who want to create and want to connect are looking to find ways to do that. And that's absolutely where we're coming from with this. And yeah. I, I, I took for granted all the connection I had in my gig life, you know? I mean, how many authentic conversations took place on a regular basis during breaks and afterwards having drinks and, you know, and then the musical connection that exists in rehearsals, all of that is still available to me. It's just that you, you have a different platform for the time being and hopefully a platform where we can share this in a way that anybody else who's looking for that connection can find it. So 
you know, it's just, it's just so great. And um, I just want to say thank you to you guys for being willing to take this journey with us thank at the you. very start. <laughs> these, these two crazy girls who two months ago were like, let's start a concert series and a podcast all at once and give ourselves a deadline. No, that forces you to do it though, you know? Yes. <laughs> I, I heard a great phrase. It's connection, not perfection. Perfect. Yeah. And I think that's what we're in it for. Nice. That is what we're in it. Oh, that's perfect. Yep, that's a little mantra for before you walk on stage and you're mm-hmm. yeah. got the mm-hmm. you know performance anxiety. Connection, not perfection, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> dear God, in some. In your wisdom, you know, give me both, please. <laughs> please be merciful. The concert is at six. Are we doing it at six thirty? I thought that's we were doing it at seven. Seven o'clock. <laughs> Okay. Thought it was seven thirty. <laughs> Let's keep pushing. Eight it back. o'clock. Anybody? Anyone? What? <laughs> okay, we should take a vote right here with the four of us. I thought us. it was recorded. Happy hour. Yeah, I thought it was pre-recorded. <laughs> Chris hasn't been listening. Uh, what do we? Let's call. Okay, if if it's happy hour, well, we won't call it in happy the future. Hour, I think it should be, but it is culture, culture and, cocktails and cocktails is kind of the way we wanted it to feel. Oh, gourmet. That's taken. No, never mind. Culture and cocktails. Culture and cocktails. If you say it like that, you'll get a lot of listeners. <laughs> 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 I'm, listening. I'm listening. So, 7 o'clock, December 17th, tell your mom, tell your aunt, tell your best friend, tell your college roommate, tell everybody you know. And tune in for the live event of the winter pandemic. There it is. Mm-hmm. Boom. Nailed it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to be on the Viola Centric live stream on Facebook. And we will have PayPal and Venmo options for anyone who wishes to contribute to the efforts of viola centric and the wonderful musicians who are joining us on this concert and yeah i'm just so excited i'm so excited to see everyone you know i i think it's going to be really fun for us as musicians to be in that room and i also can't wait to just like do the thing where we're interacting with you in between our pieces we're so excited i don't know do you guys have anything else you want to share before we call it a night can't wait to see you there, and I can't wait to um, play music with you guys and listen to you. Yeah, man. Can't wait. Yeah, can't, can't wait to find out what this is all about. We'll do it live!